Welcome to Podcasts, recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. So this month we're using the game of life and how to play it, one of those uh, classics of Florence Scoville Shins. I'm discovering this book, even though it's a small one, is just packed with spiritual principles and practices. It's amazing. And somehow today I'm going to try to cover three complete ones. And I vow to do this without just talking really, really fast. (laughs) So I want to cover the infinite power of love to heal. That's one of the things I want to cover today. I want to cover the idea of the law of use. And we're going to kind of breeze over that a little bit. Uh, Because I also want to start out with something really powerful in this particular chapter we're working on. And I'm going to start, I think, by asking a question. Have you heard of the concept that we may be our own worst enemy? Have you? I think most of you have heard that before, right? The idea that if anyone is thwarting my progress, it might be me. That if any way is standing in the way of my own success, sometimes it might be me. And so I want to talk about this maybe in a little bit different way than what we've talked about before. Because I don't think it's your conscious self that's really doing that. Our conscious self usually has good intentions. We know where we're headed. We know what we want to do. If someone asked our our conscious self uh, questions about a course of action or a job that we want or whatever, we'd have all the right answers, right? We know what we want. We know where we're going. It's the unconscious part of us somehow that it's that little voice in the back of your head instead of the front of your head that says things like, wait a minute, who do you think you are? You're not smart enough to pull that off or you're not good enough to have the good life. Who are you to rise above your family or your coworkers? Am I right about that? So it's not our conscious mind. And often in the science of mind, of course, what are we focusing on It's how to change our consciousness. So how do I deal with that stuff that's below the radar? How do I do with that back of the mind thinking? And I want to tell you, uh, Ms. Shin this week really covers that, I think, in a very unique and wonderful way that I want to share with you. First of all, she says we don't have to figure it out. I know a lot of people, when they have some conscious doubts and troubles, will go to see, you know, maybe a therapist or something like that, and they'll look deep into your past and find out, you know, I don't know, things from your childhood that maybe affected the way you think about yourself or, or, or your own perspective on the world, things that happened a long time ago. Interestingly enough, and it's not that that's a poor path to take, But I don't think you have to do that. And she advocates something that she calls casting the burden. The idea here is these thoughts, these negative self-perceptions, these ideas of not enough, these things that are standing in the way, those uh, voices in the back of our head that say, you can't, it's too hard, you're not smart enough, or whatever. What if we could just cast them aside? What if we could turn them over to spirit and in spirit's amazing and powerful and cunning way 
they could just be relieved from you. That's her theory, and she has a little practice about it. You know me, I like to try these things out ahead of time before I try them out with you all. So for the last couple weeks, I've been using this practice. And I want to say my heart and my soul feel lighter for it. It actually does feel like a burden has been lifted from me. And it's a very simple practice, something you can do whenever you feel about it. She, she suggests whenever you hear one of those little voices, pay attention to what it's saying, and then use this technique. So now she, of course, very much a Christian phrasing kind of person. So she says, I cast this burden on the Christ and I go free to receive my good. And, and I would say, if that resonates with you, that's great. But also you could use the term higher wisdom self, right? For some people, our religions of origin, you know, the idea of turning something over to the Christ consciousness or the Christ spirit might be a little triggering. So feel free to substitute your higher wisdom self if you'd like to. So I cast this burden on the Christ within and I go free. I cast this burden on the Christ within, the higher wisdom self, and I go free. I cast this burden on the higher wisdom self within, and I go free. Because there is something that knows how to get rid of that. There is something beyond yourself, beyond your own figuring things out, your own having to puzzle through it, there is something greater than just you that can relieve you of that burden. And so I have a couple examples of here that I've been working on this week, not to overly divulge things that I'm working on in my own life. Some of you know that we've been working on having a house built down in Walport. So one of mine was I cast this burden of doubt on the Christ within and I go free to have my house built in Walport. I mentioned, right, I've been doing this for a couple weeks. We have a new builder. I got to tell you, this like surprised me. It's like, how could it be so easy, right? Do you, do you ever doubt sometimes when things are so easy? And so in the same way that maybe an affirmation, you're used to using that for claiming your good, I would say this technique is amazing and equally powerful for releasing something that doesn't serve you anymore. So let's try it. Let's, let's do the real generic one here. And feel free to replace the word Christ, if you like, with higher wisdom self. But let's practice this one together. So l let me repeat it a couple more times. And then when you feel comfortable with it, join in. I cast this burden on the Christ within and I go free. I cast this burden on the Christ within and I go free. I cast this burden on the Christ within and I go free. Doesn't it even feel good? I go free. I cast this burden on my higher wisdom self and I go 
free. Now feel free to personalize it like I did. Remember mine was, uh, I cast my burden of doubt on the Christ within, and I go free to have my house built in Walport. So, you know, personalize it as you like. But think of this as a way, in particular, of dispelling those small voices in the back of your mind that tell you you're not good enough, that you can't do something, that something's too complicated for you. So you're casting away your doubt, you're casting away your belief in lack, you're casting away your, your fears, anything that seems like that roadblock. So, so on the conscious side, right, we have a great idea of how we want to live our lives. We have plans, we have uh, uh, ideas for making the world a better place and our own lives a better place, right? That's our conscious self. And when we say something like that, when we make a claim, as we should, if that voice in the back of your head says, who are you to imagine that that's going to happen? That's when you use this technique. So anytime you have a doubt, anytime you have a fear, let us cast it on to an intelligence greater than ourselves that can deal with this. Make sense? Okay, on to the law of use. I'm going to do a very short explanation of this because I think it's somewhat self-explanatory, but it's also one of those spiritual principles that, oh my gosh, if we ignore it, we're in sort of trouble. So the law of use, the spiritual law of use, simply says, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And I know that applies, you know, when we have talents that we're working on, whether you've learned a foreign language or whether you've learned a musical instrument, if maybe you're an avid golfer or things like that, we know that with disuse, our ability to command those particular assets that we have diminishes over time. So it makes sense in a worldly kind of situation. What Shin says, though, is it's also true in our ability to interact favorably with spirit. So if, for instance, maybe we have a prayer practice and we've kept it up for a long time, we have that, that lovely connection to our higher power, our prayers often see answered. Well, what happens then if you just cut out that practice for six months? It's not like you just pick up where you left off. It's in a way like you're kind of starting over again. So the law of use says, if you have a spiritual practice, keep it up. If you're praying daily, if you're having success using affirmations, all of those things need to be maintained if you want to keep that connection to spirit. If you've meditated successfully for 10 years and then one day it just stops, you're not going to start right back again where you left off. It requires use in order to keep developing and maintaining that particular connection to spirit. And I can tell you, uh, for my own part, I've noticed it in people that, uh, how do I want to say it? They've been in science of mind or new thought so long that they sort of don't think they need to pay attention to spiritual practices anymore. And uh, some of you are smiling. You either maybe know some people like that or, or maybe you're self-identifying. I don't know. I'm not going to call anybody out. But what tends to happen is you just sort of take the good life for granted, 
because the good life has been an, an effect of us using spiritual practices. And so, well, you know, my life is pretty good. Why do I need to pray anymore? My life is pretty good. Why do I need to keep up uh, affirmations? Well, the trouble with that is when something goes wrong and you need attention, you're out of practice. So the law of use, use it or lose it. And your connection to your higher power, you do not want to lose. So if you have a spiritual practice, meditation, prayer, affirmations, visioning, please keep it up. It will be there when you need it. And if you don't keep it up, it may not be there when you need it. Okay, now on to what I really want to talk about today, which is an initiation in love. There's a whole chapter in this book. It's, it's very lovely. She says that every single encounter you have with another person, and even inanimate objects as far as that good, every single encounter you have is an initiation into love. It's the invitation to love. It's the ability to look through the eyes of love. And depending upon your frame of mind, depending upon how you react to that initiation, makes all the difference in your world and the world around you. Let's work through a few examples here. And then I want to talk more specifically about love itself. And uh, of course, to kick that off, I do happen to have a joke. So a man was standing in front of the bathroom mirror one evening, looking somewhat critically at his reflection. Was his hairline receding a bit? Was he getting a double chin? He certainly had gained some weight during COVID. He wasn't exactly sure that he liked what he saw in the mirror anymore. Just then his wife passed by the bathroom door, and he asked her to come in. Honey, he said... I hate questions like this. Honey, he said, we've been together for over 20 years. Will you still love me when I'm old, fat, and balding? She answered very carefully, of course I will, dear. I've never stopped loving you. <laughs> so what is unconditional love? What is unconditional love? If there is to be an initiation in love, if every encounter that we have with people, places, and things is the invitation to love, I got to tell you, we need to understand unconditional love because that's at the heart of this. So many times our relationships, I think, are built on transactions. Now, again, it's at a subconscious level. But so often it's, I love you as long as, or I will keep loving you if you do these things. And of course, we never say that, but that's the kind of the understood nature of it, right? Uh, I'll, I'll always love you as long as these seven topics are never mentioned between us. I'll, I'll always love you as long as you... Make sure you don't put your clothes on the floor when you change them, as long as when you use the bathroom, the toilet seat is up or down or whatever the preference is, right? We have all of these expectations of the people that we care for. 
That is not actually love. Now, I'm not here to say it isn't useful. It's often very useful to have agreements with the people that, especially the people we cohabitate with, right? We need to have boundaries and agreements around behavior. Incredibly important. But let us not confuse that for an expression of love. Love has no strings attached. And in every moment, in every initiation of love, as she calls it, we have the opportunity of giving love away free. And when we do that, when we do that, we invite the entire universe to treat us that way. Now let's contrast that a little bit with this more idea of love that has strings attached. So if, for instance, and I'll use an example, I think I've done it before, but I remember when I was, gosh, maybe seven or eight, and for Christmas, my grandmother gave me a sweater that she had made herself. Now, what a lovely testament of love, right? Or is it? She expected every time that she saw me, I'd be wearing that sweater, and she was not happy if I wasn't. So, so I put to you, when you do an act of love, when you give someone a gift, when you say something sweet to someone, are you expecting something back? Are you expecting that that gift will be put to good use? Are you expecting that that compliment will be returned to you? Are you expecting that your good deed will prompt a good deed coming back in return? When you do that, you're not really loving the other person. You're engaging them in an exchange. Now again, nothing wrong with that. Oftentimes that's part of our social norms. Oftentimes that's a very gracious way of doing it. Oftentimes it's in the nature of being polite. Just don't confuse that with really sharing your love. Because your love, God's love working through you, never, ever has any strings attached. And when you encounter each person, if you can think of a way of sharing your love with no strings attached, oh my gosh. So let's think of some examples. One of the greatest gifts that you can give to any person is just listening to them. Isn't it true? One of the greatest gifts you can give to someone is just listening to them. And when I say listening, I don't mean getting ready to jump right in and refute what they're saying or, or planning how you're going to amplify it. We all know people like that. I mean just to listen, to drink in that person and their opinions and their ideas, not planning the, you know, the counterattack, not, not planning how you agree even necessarily, just listening. It's not expecting anything in return, it's showing your interest. Likewise, something like an honest compliment is a sincere act of love. You're not expecting it to be returned, I hope. Right? Part of this is even our intention. Do I give a compliment intending that someone will find something 
about me to be complimented? I, I, I don't. I mean, I hope not. So, so something like a compliment, when it's sincere and not just made up, what a lovely gift. What a form of unconditional love. I'm going to skip ahead to our homework. So your homework this week is going to be how can you show your unconditional love to everyday strangers? Our unconditional love with people we already know is actually a little more complicated. And we're, we're going to save that maybe for the master class. <laughs> but how can you show your unconditional love to the checker at Fred Meyer? How can you show your unconditional love to the person on the phone trying to schedule something from your doctor's office or, or from someone at work? How can you show your unconditional love for someone on the freeway exit that is asking for money? How can you show your unconditional love to just people that you meet on the street? So that's your, that's your homework assignment for this week. It'll take a little creativity on your part because what? Well, it needs to be sincere. It needs to be not expecting anything back. Right? And it needs to be heartfelt. I want to love you. I mean, not love you, love you. But you know what I mean. I want God's love to move through me into the world. And right now, you are in front of me. You're the next person in line with a basket full of groceries. You know, what, what can you say? Can you talk about the smoked ham? My gosh, what a good deal it looks like you're getting on the ham this week. Right? What can you say that is simply an expression of God's love with no strings attached? So that's your homework. But I want to get back to what we can do in terms of unconditional love around the people that we know, because it's a little trickier. We already have systems of transactions between the people that we know and love. We've already built up a series of give and takes, you know, I'll do this if you do this, that kind of thing. So how can we become more unconditionally loving to the people that we already know and care about? One of them is, I think, to examine our motives. When we say something, when we do something, are we trying to get a certain kind of reaction? And can we minimize that? Do we need to have agreement? Do we have to be right? You know, there's an old saying, you can choose to be right or you can choose to be happy. And I have noticed some couples in particularly, it does seem like there tends to be some rivalry or some friction around just wanting to be right as opposed to allowing what? Differences of opinion. Unconditional love says all of our opinions are okay. They may not be my opinion. I might even think there's some serious things wrong with that opinion, right? We've got some things going on in the country right now, right? That seem like seriously wrong opinions. And yet, unconditional love would tell me they have the right to believe that. They have the right to feel that. Now, it doesn't mean I may not take uh, my own initiative 
It doesn't mean that uh, I would welcome some of those opinions into my own house. But everyone has the right to their own opinion. And unconditional love would say, I'm not here to change you. It is not my job to change you. In my loving way, I might illustrate how my life is going well, but I'm not here to tell you that your life isn't worthwhile. And yet I see people doing that to the people even that they love the most, somehow invalidating their opinions or things that are important to them in favor of sort of me being on top. You know, my way being the better way. And, and people trying to convince each other, essentially, that chocolate ice cream is better than vanilla ice cream. Have you ever really thought about the things that we hold as opinions? When does an opinion or a taste suddenly become like a little war going on of who's right? What, why can't we have opinions in the same way that some people like chocolate and some people like vanilla? Have you thought about that? And so next time you find yourself in one of those positions where you're feeling a little strident, does everybody know what I mean when you feel kind of the heat of the argument and you're wanting to prove your way is the best way? One of my suggestions is to could I look at this as just an opinion? Could this be my vanilla? And could I be okay with the other person having their chocolate? Could that be all right? Does the toilet seat up or down have to be a cause for a war in the household? Yes. <laughs> Charlotte, we'll talk later. <laughs> I want to use a, a couple examples. You, you know, I consider myself to be in a, in a very successful and loving relationship. And yet Daniel and I are very different people. And when we first moved in together, oh my gosh, some of the things that we had to get used to with each other. And I'm very proud to say there was very little shaming going on. But the potential was there, right? I tend to be a somewhat neater person than Daniel, for, for instance. And I, I had to really resist the notion that I would make him appreciate neatness. Right? It's like force feeding the vanilla person chocolate. And Daniel is not dirty. This wasn't about dirt. It's just about whether things are picked up or not. Why can't I approach that as vanilla and chocolate, right? In fact, I remember, I still remember he said one time, I just like to have all my stuff out where I can access it easily. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a virtue? <laughs> right? So I really had to say to myself, this isn't right or wrong. This isn't... This isn't like, you know, the house is dirty because it's not. He's, very, he's probably cleaner than I am in the sense of cleanliness. But I had to really say to myself, you know, I'm tempted to make this right or wrong. I'm tempted to say, one day you will see my way and I will get what I want. And I finally had to say, no, 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 this isn't love. 
Love is not trying to remake someone that I care about in my own image. I am not here to try to talk him out of chocolate and into vanilla. That is not who I am. I love him more than that. And so how do we begin some of these trickier relationships? One of the ways is, and this relates even back to our cast my burden on the Christ within and I go free, Begin unraveling, or at least looking at some of the areas in your primary relationships where it is a kind of tit-for-tat thing, where you have to do this in order for me to do that, that we have this agreement. And ask yourself, is that really necessary? Is it really necessary that the garbage has to go out every night by 9 o'clock, and that's somehow... Somehow, if you loved me, you would do that. Have you ever heard someone phrase something like that? If you really loved me, dot, dot, dot. If you really loved me, I wouldn't have to keep nagging you to get the lawn mowed. If you really loved me, you would know how important it is that, you know, I don't know, that my car not be left out in the rain or whatever. Whatever is important. All of these are flavors of ice cream. And the more that you can detach yourself from these things that look like love but are really transactional agreements, let's separate them out. It's okay if you want to have agreements around how the house is kept. Absolutely. That is not love. Let us separate that out and then we're good to go. I love you for you, not your behaviors. Think about that one for a minute. Is it true or is it not true? This is worthy of a contemplation right here, I would say. Do I love you for you or do I love you for behaving in a certain way that's appealing to me? There, I said it a little harsher. I'm going to leave you with that thought for contemplation. Is your love based on your partner or your friends behaving in ways that are pleasing to you or do you love them unconditionally? So you already have your homework. You're going to find a time with a perfect stranger to creatively allow God's unconditional love to move through you and out into the world with the benefit of a perfect stranger. Okay, so I'm going to close with a quote from the book and a prayer. She says, everyone on this planet is taking an initiation in love every day in every moment. A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another. But real love is selfless and free from fear. It pours itself out upon the object of its affection without demanding any return whatsoever. Its joy is in the joy of giving Love is God in manifestation and the strongest magnetic force in the universe. Pure, unselfish love will draw to itself its own, always and forevermore. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and only one love. 
And what I know about this life and this love, that it is present everywhere. God is present everywhere, moving in, around, and through us, inviting us to be initiated into love. And on this day, I take up that challenge. My relationships are ever more unhindered with that need for something in return. My ability to love unconditionally is ever increasing. My life expands to allow more and more love to move out into the world to people I care about and even, even perfect strangers. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for everyone. Each of us has that ability to be initiated in love every day. With every encounter, with every person, there is a piece of that higher wisdom self ready and willing to share God's love. And for this, I give great thanks. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.